the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. The Jewish people are the only people on earth who have been given title deed by God to certain real estate on the earth. And when other people try to confiscate that land, God will rise up in anger against those nations. That's why he calls it my land there in verse 5. And he says that those who take it will incur, verse 6, my jealousy and my fury. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ezekiel. God promises many times in the Old Testament that He will greatly bless His people if they follow His ways and live for Him. It is no different here in Ezekiel, where Pastor Gary will show you today that God even has specific land intended for Israel to have for her own you will see how strong God's love and faithfulness is to His people, and that anyone who would try to overtake the land that is meant for Israel will face God's jealousy and fury. He defends His chosen people for His own name's sake. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, as he begins his message, Israel and the End Times. For today, we're here in Ezekiel, chapter 36, and I'm going to give a bit of an introduction to kind of set the stage for these chapters we're going to be looking at today. And then I will pray, and then we'll dig through chapters 36 and 37. But we start to move now into the latter sections of the book of Ezekiel, which deal primarily with prophetic events. Ezekiel is writing in the uh, mid-6th century B.C., but God is showing him distant things. And some of the things that Ezekiel writes about have been fulfilled if you're old enough, in some of your lifetimes, and there are some things that he writes about that have yet to be fulfilled. In other words, some of the things that Ezekiel prophesied 2,500 years ago concerning end-time events went unfulfilled until relatively recently. And some things he writes about are still in our future. Now, in order to understand the prophetic end-time events that Ezekiel writes about, One must first understand the unique role that the nation of Israel has played in history and will play in prophecy. Helpful to us is the fact that Ezekiel, in these latter chapters here, when he's talking about 
end time events. He writes in chronological order. So we can see things that are going to unfold and, and have unfolded, if you're old enough, in some of your lifetimes and things that are yet to unfold. So starting at the end of the book, I'm going to just lay out in three main sections the remainder of the book of Ezekiel. So Ezekiel's end time prophecies, the last part of his book, chapters 40 to 48, he writes about the kingdom age, also known as the millennial kingdom. It's the thousand-year reign of Christ from Jerusalem after he returns to the earth. How many of you know and are looking forward to the second coming of Christ, right? So he's coming again. And the Bible says that when he comes again and he establishes his kingdom on earth, it'll be for a thousand years. Then there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Well, Ezekiel details the millennial temple that will be built. And he also describes life during that thousand year when Christ reigns from Jerusalem on the earth. But before that happens, Ezekiel writes in chapters 38 and 39 about the climactic battle of the nations against Israel Uh, better known as the Battle of Armageddon. So we'll talk about that when we get later into chapters 38 and 39. But before that happens, the main topic of our study today has to deal with the restoration of the nation of Israel. Because ever since the Babylonians besieged and destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C., and this is the time in which Ezekiel is writing, ever since the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C., for the next 2,500 years... For all intents and purposes, the Israel as a nation no longer exists. They are dominated by some other foreign power, and the Jews have been dispersed really around the world. From 586 B.C. until 1948 A.D., the Jewish people had no exclusive homeland, no government, not even a common language. Because when the Jews were taken captive into Babylon, they would adopt the Aramaic language of their Babylonian captors. When they would return from captivity, they'd be speaking Aramaic, not Hebrew. Jesus spoke Aramaic, not Hebrew. I'm going to talk about how the Hebrew language was revived as part of the prophetic events that unfold, but they didn't even have a common language. And so for 2,500 years, what we read in Ezekiel kind of starts a clock of 2,500 years, during which time the Jewish people would be dispersed all over the world. They would be oppressed all over the world. They would be massacred all over the world. And those who did manage to still live within the boundaries of ancient Israel would be dominated by some other foreign power, the Babylonian Empire, followed by the Persian Empire, the Greek Empire, the Roman Empire. And then you have the Byzantine Empire that overtook that land. And then following them, you had the Arab Islamic Empire. And then you had the Catholic Crusaders and the Mamelukes. And then following them, you had the Ottoman Empire. And finally, the British Empire. And all of that then changed in the 20th century. Only relatively recently, as the course of the last 2,500 years radically, miraculously changed for Israel and the Jewish people. And it is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 36 and 37, which is what we're going to be looking at today, which is the reestablishment of the state of Israel, which happened in 1948. This is what Ezekiel predicted in the 6th century BC, and it has come to pass in some of your lifetimes if you were born before 1948. So we're going to close out the book of Ezekiel. I still have a little bit of traveling to do, but when I'm here, we're going to look at these three sections starting today 
with this first section in chapter 36 and 37, but it's basically going to end up being a three-part series to close out the book of Ezekiel, looking at prophecy. And again, you can't understand prophecy, things that are going to happen, unless you first appreciate the unique role of Israel. So the title of this three-part series, today being part one, is Israel and the End Times. Israel and the end times. Now, I'm going to kind of be asking you to drink out of a fire hose today because I'm going to be, you know, full volume, full speed. My pastor, Chuck Smith, before he died, he would always say, sometimes a sermon is going to be inspirational and sometimes it'll be informational. Well, today's informational, okay? I'm going to give you a lot of information. If you like history and if you like prophecy, you're in the right place. Ezekiel chapter 36, I'm going to read the first seven verses. God says to Ezekiel, And you, son of man, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Because the enemy has said of you, Aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. Okay, so notice, foreign invading armies are coming, taking the land of Israel. Verse 3, Therefore prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate and swallowed you up on every side so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations, and you are taken up by the lips of talkers and slandered by the people. Therefore, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations and against all Edom who gave my land, notice that, to themselves as a possession with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds in order to plunder its open country. Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. Let's pause there. Your attention, please. This is a rebuke of the nations around Israel that have come to take the land for themselves. Point number one for you note-takers as we talk about Israel in the end times and specifically today about the reestablishment of the state of Israel. Number one, God denounces the nations that overtake the land of Israel. The Jewish people are the only people on earth who have been given title deed by God to certain real estate on the earth. And when other people try to confiscate that land, God will rise up in anger against those nations. That's why he calls it my land there in verse 5. And he says that those who take it will incur, verse 6, my jealousy and my fury. Now, just so that we understand a little history here related to Israel as a nation and the Jewish people as a people. God brought about the Jewish race out of nothing. There were no Jews until God providentially decided that one Gentile by the name of Abraham, Abram as he originally was named, would be the source, would be the genesis of a people that did not yet exist. And God tapped him as this Gentile pagan worshiper, Abraham was, living in the land of the Chaldeans, which is ancient Mesopotamia, which means the land between the two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. This guy's hanging out in Iraq 
He's a Gentile. He worships pagan gods. And God appears to him. And God speaks to him. And God promises and God makes a covenant with him that out of his seed will come a race of people that up to this point did not exist. It was God's providential thing. And by the way, he selected someone that was way past his prime and his wife, Sarah, who was way past her prime. They were past childbearing age so that when they did have a child, everybody would know this has to be a miracle because God is about establishing something clearly for his own glory so that there would be no mistake that these two people just happened to get together, had a kid, and out of them came a race of people. No, God selected people whose bodies, the Bible said, were otherwise dead, biologically speaking, unable to produce. And out of them would come the child of a promise, the child Isaac. And God then birthed a nation, the Jewish people, through the line of Abraham, through the seed of Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. And then God determined that in order to provide a land for this race that he's created out of the seed of Abraham, he then gave title deed to the real estate, the area around the Mediterranean, to Abraham. And he called Abraham, leave your country in Iraq, and you make the thousand-mile journey into this land that I have promised you on oath. And thus, the Jewish people were born, and the nation itself was established in terms of a, a boundary, an area, a geographical region. Now, God gave the title deed of this land to Abraham and to the children of his promised descendants, Isaac and Jacob. I was having lunch with a Jewish rabbi in Washington, D.C. about two years ago. And he's very liberal in his theology, and he believes, despite the fact that he's Jewish, he believes that the Jews are not entitled to a homeland in Israel. And I said, with all due respect, rabbi, God gave the title deed to the Jewish people, to your people. He says, no, he didn't. He said, it's nowhere in the Bible. I said, it is in the Bible. And I had to open his own scriptures and read to him what I'm going to read to you. This is Genesis 15, verse 18. On that day... The Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants of Isaac, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. Now, just so that we can get a perspective of what God is giving to the Jewish people entitled deed of the land, roughly 300,000 square miles. That's what God originally intended. The state of Israel is smaller than the state of New Jersey. God intended 300,000 square miles at a minimum, 300,000 square miles for the Jewish people. Today, they live in 8,130 square miles. Now, it's important to get perspective on all this. Because anytime we have a peace plan that involves land for peace, if Israel will just give up more land, then we'll give them peace. I'm skeptical for two reasons. Number one, land for peace has never worked. Number two... Giving up any more land than Israel already has is frankly unbiblical because they don't have a tenth of what God originally intended for them to have. I'm just giving you the biblical perspective of all this. In other words, God says here, it's my land on loan to the Jewish people and anyone else can live there, Palestinians included, Arabs included. Anyone else can live there, work there, play there. But those who try to take possession of it, he says here in Ezekiel 36, verse 6, will incur my jealousy and my fury. Point number two, God defends Israel for his own name's sake. Look further in chapter 36. I'm going to read verses 22 to 28. 
Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations. Now notice, he's talking about prophetically here. I'm going to gather all the exiles. I'll gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. And I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will keep my judgments and do them. And then you shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. In other words, the reason I think this is important to note is that God is not doing something for Israel for their sake. He's doing something for Israel for his sake. He's doing something for Israel not for their name, but for his name. Because the fact of the matter is the Israelites had blown their testimony. That's why God says here in verse 22 that his own holy name has been profaned among the nations. Why? Because the Israelites forsook the true and living God and started to worship the idols, the pagans of the neighboring nations around them. And in this way, God says, you've profaned me before them. You have exchanged the worship of the true and living God for the worship of idols, just like your foreign neighbors. Despite that, God says, I love you. I'm going to bring you back in this land. I'm going to forgive you and I'm going to restore you. And this is an amazing thing that God does on a national scale for the nation of Israel, because in a micro sense, God does the same thing for us. We sin against him. We rebel against him. And what does God do? He is patient with us. He is long suffering, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And then he is waiting for us patiently. And with open arms, he receives us and forgives us and restores us. That's the story of God. That's the story of redemption. God does it for us on a personal level. God is doing it here for the nation of Israel on a national scale. And he's showing himself. This is a testimony of God before the nations that he is a forgiving God and that he is a restoring God, which leads us to point number three. God declares himself to all the nations through the reestablishment of Israel. Still here in chapter 36, look at verses 34 through 36. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden, and the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. And then the nations which are left all around you shall know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. In other words, here's what he's telling us. That in the 2,500 years from the time that Israel was dispersed in 586 B.C. and the temple was destroyed and following, 2,500 years, the land of Israel became desolate and barren. Now, some of Israel is desert by itself, but even what was otherwise lush fields and vineyards and the mountains would not yield fruit or vegetation. It would just become an arid wasteland because it was uninhabited and the land itself was dominated by foreign empires that didn't invest in it. And so when the Jews are dispersed over 2,500 years, the land just becomes just desolate and barren. In 1867, Mark Twain made a visit to Israel 
And he would later write a description about what he saw. Listen to what he wrote. Quote, a desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of the worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. End quote. Mark Twain, 1867, that he later would write in his writings entitled The Innocence Abroad, published in 1881. And yet, God took this otherwise desolate wasteland and made it fruitful again. When God brought the Jewish people back to this land in 1948 and since, Israel has become one of the most prosperous and prolific nations on the planet. In Isaiah chapter 27, verse 6, Isaiah prophesied, In the days to come, Israel will bud and blossom and fill all the world with fruit. Did you know that Israel is today the number one exporter of fruit to Europe? A nation smaller than the state of New Jersey could fit within Orange County, California. All right? They are now the number one exporters of fruit in Europe. Citrus fruits are currently Israel's major agricultural export. Israel is one of the world's leading greenhouse food exporting countries. Israel exports more than $1.3 billion worth of agricultural products every year. The Jews developed drip irrigation, in case you didn't know where that came from. They developed it and turned the desert into fertile fields. And when you look at Jewish history, the emergence of this nation out of just a desolate wasteland where not only the land itself was desolate, but the people had been scattered oppressed and massacred all around the world. When you look at Jewish history, there is no other explanation for their preservation and the restoration of the Jewish people and the state of Israel as a nation, except by the divine work of the hand of God. Consider the contributions that the Jews have made to the world. Between 1901 and 2018, there have been a little more than 900 Nobel Prizes awarded in all the fields. You know, science and medicine and literature and peace, okay? A little more than 900 Nobel Prizes awarded between 2001 and 2018. Jews have taken 203 of those prizes. That represents 23% of all the Nobel Prizes awarded. 23% have been awarded to Jews for their contributions to the world. Now check this out to put it in perspective. The Jewish population today around the world, about 14.5 million. That's it, because they've been massacred and slaughtered. 14.5 million Jews in the world today. They represent, listen, 0.19% of the world's population. Jewish people, 0.19% of the world's population. But they've been awarded 23% of the Nobel Prizes. Yeah, give God praise, because that's something God did. Now, to put it in perspective a little bit, the Muslim population, which represents 23% of the world's population, Jewish population, 0.19%. Muslim population, 23% of the world's population. In the same time period from 1901 to 2018, Muslims have been awarded 12 Nobel Prizes. I'm just quoting the facts. I don't mean to be disparaging against Muslims. I'm just saying you have to recognize that something out of such proportion where the Jews have been awarded so many Nobel Prizes, it's a testimony of God working 
and God raising up a people that were otherwise nearly eradicated from the face of the earth, but God's providential hand has preserved them all these years. Final point, number four. God demonstrates his power and faithfulness through the reestablishment of Israel. Thanks for joining us today in the book of Ezekiel. This prophetic book brings not only an understanding of things in the past, but also things that are ahead. Much of Ezekiel predicts God's judgment in order for people to turn back to Him in repentance. Repentance and devotion were what God wanted then and what He wants from us now. If you're enjoying learning about God's character and plans through this book and how it relates to the here and now, we encourage you to read through the book of Ezekiel on your own. You can also listen to more of Pastor Gary's teachings on our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc or download our mobile app to take them on the go. If you're looking for some additional resources to aid your time of study in the Word, visit the Teaching tab on our site for companion resources. On our website, you'll also be able to learn more about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd love for you to visit us. Find service times and directions, along with more information, at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're glad we were able to spend some time with you today. Join us again next time for more from Pastor Gary's verse-by-verse study in the book of Ezekiel, right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know Oh, no.